Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button. Um, so here's, I'm just going to jump in. So Lord, I pray that you just kind of speak to um, the topic that is an undercurrent of a lot of things going on in our culture today um, that represent who we are as a country, even for us individually. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom about the things that can be substantive, right? I pray this in your name. Amen. So here's my 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 devotion this morning. I'm, th- I'm speaking tomorrow about conversion, and it sent me down a rabbit trail of uh, conversion being a spiritual conversion. Um, and in the midst of it, I'm thinking about things to try to use as examples, whether it be, you know, the conversion van, something you just turn into something, you know, even more. Um, whether it be uh, Converse High Top, that would change the shoe forever as we know it. Um, and then, of course, it also comes to, you know, conversion of currency. You know, what is the euro compared to the dollar? How do you get pesos from, you know, change? How do you go to Canada? Um, you know, how do you convert to, to get? Uh... And then I, I kind of went down a few conversations this week about how that has been a frustration for me is as a pastor, uh, everybody who received their stimulus checks uh, coming in, don't get me wrong, if the, if the check came in, cash it. You're not going to give it back to the government and uh, have the government figure out how to fix the problem. <laughs> uh, but I want to share the concern that Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And show me your checkbook and I will show you your priorities. In fact, a lot of counseling sessions just come down to that to say, Look, when you say you really love your spouse, when you go to the checkbook, do you have very separate checking accounts? Are you spending a lot of money on, as you know, for the husband, the boys' toys? Are you spending a lot of money for the ladies, whatever their interests may be? And then you ask the question, what are you, what are you doing to invest in your marriage, right? Um, and some people don't realize how quickly that sort of dissipates and, and runs out on us. And I, I emphasize that this morning because one of the things that we believe as Baptists inherently is truly the old adage that we're, you know, um, you know, financially conservative while socially liberal. I wouldn't like to say we're socially liberal, but there is a truth to the fact that we believe people have the right to live and choose, that we don't, um, in our Baptist beliefs, we don't believe that we create a, a hierarchy of morals that decide how people live. We may speak to people's lives when given the opportunity and talk about sin, and personal decisions, um, but being very Baptist, we don't we don't really legislate that morality. Um, we do it on a very small scale, where it impacts collective uh, activities. Meaning that within the church, we have certain things we expect of our deacons, and we have certain things we expect of our worship leader, um, of our pastor, for sure. Um, but then beyond that, we accept and acknowledge people live certain ways and. Yet we still come to worship and people of all diverse backgrounds and activities. Uh, as the old joke goes, you're not going to fix Saturday night on Sunday morning, but you're still welcome to come. <laughs> so come on in. But here's the thing that strikes me that when I just have a mixed feeling about the fact that 
collectively, we keep talking about uh, identity politics, we keep talking about cancel culture, we talk about what people have said or done morally, and there's this sort of this blanket over something that is really immoral, and, and that's spending. That is spending our kids' future. And I've told my kids, it's a bit of the Dave Ramsey, you ought to be able to give and be generous, you ought to be able to save, and you ought to be able to spend within your means. And if you can't figure out how to do that, um, then, then bad things happen. And you can put it off, this is back, uh, I remember the late 90s, early 2000s, that there was a time where people were spending negative 6% of their annual income. Now negative 6% may not sound like a lot, but you do that for two or three years, some may remember, people were in their 30s and $40,000 in credit card debt. Not like stuff you could sell and get some of your money back, not a car loan, not a mortgage, but people were thirty dollars to $40,000 in credit card debt. That's also concerning if you think about student loans and people who, if you go to a school for $40,000 a year, that's unsecured debt. Now, when you graduate, you don't have anything which you have to actually sell. Nobody's going to take your diploma and give you $20,000 for it. So my concern is we've sort of created this behavior that says it's okay in one area of the world, but, but not okay in other areas. Or if I was more precise, it's okay to really argue against people because of our, our moral differences, what we think deems a person moral or not moral, while at the same time we watch the response during a pandemic to be grossly, financially, out of proportions and out of sorts. Let me give you a couple of things that come to mind when this happens. First of all, I live in Illinois, so when people ask me about Illinois, and, and one of the first things that come up is uh, the minimum wage. I go, hey, you know, minimum wage, the expectation of raising that to $15 an hour is simply to, you know, behind the scenes, probably some expectation is that people will get off of Medicaid. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background of Illinois. You can look this stuff up. It's not real complicated to find a few clicks of a button and you'll get to Illinois.gov and you'll find out that our annual budget as a state is over $40 billion. But our annual revenue as a state is about $36 billion. We're bad spending at $6 billion a year. What makes that frustrating for me as a pastor and as just a basic you know, Illinois resident, in the last five years, our income tax has gone up. They've opened up the capacity for gambling at almost any place and location. And by the way, it's lucrative to get into it, which is why you see them popping up all over the place. The average uh, business has generated an extra $60,000 in revenue just for putting a few of the gambling stations in their, in their, uh, in their business. And then, of course, you have uh, legalizing marijuana. And I know people have asked me, I go, it's, trust me, I'm not concerned because I'm sort of some sort of, if it's a teetotaler of, of um, you know, pot or marijuana or the use of it, here's the reality of it. The reason it's being done isn't because a lot of people do it so we might as well make it so they don't go to prison or get arrested. It's a revenue stream. Now, think about it. Our... our our taxes went up for gas. Our taxes went up for your vehicle license. With a couple of kids in college and having extra vehicles and wanting a camper, all of them add up to about $800 to $1,000 a year just to go to the DMV and get the little sticker that goes in the back of it. All of it went up. Okay. 
Some of that's going to be true, some of that's going to happen. But to do all of that and find out that collectively the checkbook is still $6 billion negative, many of us may not realize this, about 8 to $9 billion of that budget is pension. That's the biggest one. Um, after that is about $8 billion for K-12 through education. And then after that is Medicaid. Uh, again, I think if you work for the state, um, you, you it, it's the same thing as, as me cashing and depositing uh, a stimulus, although you certainly worked for it. I don't think you're wrong to say, hey, as frustrated as I am with the mothership, I'm still going to do my job to the best of my ability. So they're not interconnected as in, you know, people who work with the state should feel bad about cashing those paychecks and, and planning for a pension, which has been promised to you. The, the thing we run into is collectively, we just continue to think that we talk about identity politics and not something that is really coming down the pipe going to be very difficult to overcome. Like in other words, how do you put food on the table? And speaking of which, the pandemic basically ran restaurants out of business. What do you think minimum wage is gonna impact most? On the one hand, you hope it elevates, and studies show that minimum wage, raising the minimum wage, will put people in a position that they can afford uh, a little bit more. It's not beneficial to those who have not yet received a job, right? Businesses are going to figure out how to eliminate the, that entry point at getting somebody to $15 an hour. It actually uh, helps people who are experienced in, biz in that business, even if they've been in an entry-level job, they've been there four or five years, it will show some, some moderate help to them financially. So it's not a bad thing. But think about the businesses that are really limited on what they spend money on, right? If you're a restaurant, then your, your, your product has such low margins to begin with. So minimum wage is going to limit those businesses. There's going to be certain businesses that are going to struggle. So if you ask the question, well, you have to kind of raise the minimum wage. Most people don't realize the minimum wage comes out of the Labor Act of 1930, well, 1935, which pretty much gave bargaining chips to people to unionize and to push back when companies said, hey, you guys can't talk about your, your money, how much you make. And, and in the 1935, Frank, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, no, you guys can talk about it and you can actually, you, you can have representatives and they can go speak on your behalf to your employers. That was a huge win for the employee. In the 1938, the, the Labor Act that came out that said more than just a minimum wage, said, hey, 40 hours a week, or if you work overtime, you deserve overtime. That's how we, we sort of came into this. If you work on a holiday, um, you can get time and a half if you work extra hours. Um, that, but most people don't realize that that is a minimum wage, not a living wage. And the minimum wage was basically to just start a playing field to say, your entry point into a company or into work itself. Like if you're at 40 years of age and you're still making minimum wage, then somewhere along the, the you, you missed what is opportunistic in our culture, right? That you should be able to, in 20 years, find a way, even if you started off in the most difficult circumstances, you should be able to gain certifications, education, trades, and figure out how to climb beyond that minimum wage. Most people don't realize that the minimum wage from 1938 to today, by account of inflation, is about $5 an hour or less than. And if you want to give it a little bit of a boost, you're not going to get to about $7 an hour. So where we had it from a few years ago in the state of Illinois is about what inflation would bring about. 
it's fine if we need to raise that because people need a little bit more. We just have to identify the conversation. On the other hand, what are we really trying to do? If, if the state is trying to raise it so they can lower Medicaid, then my question still stands, what is the state doing to lower and have a balanced budget, which is stated in the Illinois Constitution? It's, it's what they're supposed to do. Like, it's illegal for Illinois to plan a budget that is $6 billion overspent. You can kind of catch my frustration that, that it's not following what Matthew really means, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if you continue to have an imbalanced budget, then what are your priorities? Is it really the person who's making minimum wage that you want to, to have a little bit more money? And if it is, why are we making such a money grab to things that are morally suspect? What really seems to be a play for more tax revenue? So I just kind of emphasize that these are some things that uh, just frustrate me as a pastor uh, when I'm asked about politics and I go, we're, we're discussing the sexuality, we're discussing about, you know, are you a Democrat or Republican on what issues? Um, and I'm going to really kind of go out even farther on this. The stimulus checks that come out, they're great to cash now, but our federal government has a $30 trillion deficit. You cannot make funny money out of this. Um, I'll give you one that comes up when people say, well, imagine what Walmart's making and imagine what Amazon's making out of this pandemic. Go ahead and look it up. Look up how much money Walmart brings in a year. Its gross revenue is $500 billion. Amazon, as it's exploded during the pandemic, is over $300 billion. Do you know how much money the federal government brings in? Annually, the federal government has $3 trillion. That's a T. The biggest corporation, if you will, in our economy is the federal government. Surprisingly, Amazon, while it, spent, while it brings in $300 billion in revenue, it will show a profit, not a deficit at the end of the year. That's what a business has to do to stay in business. That's what Walmart will do. That's what Apple will do. And don't get me wrong. There should be some regulations that change, ultimately, I would think, for small businesses to have the same opportunities as big businesses, which have a lot of lobbyists in Washington to help alleviate what big business wants to do. I'm really talking about that middle parcel of our society that's just kind of lost in this. And again, it's sort of the, the trick of the magician. We see this hand of, of politics and, and social issues, while this hand that is holding the purse strings is hidden behind the back. And pulling that out to say, we have got to draw more attention to this. This is just going to bankrupt. And if we believe that stewardship is a form of spiritual maturity, then we have to shape how we talk about that as a church, as individuals, collectively, and I want to emphasize that in a couple of different ways again. So, again, when I talk about minimum wage, we want to raise it to $15 an hour. That sounds great if you make $8 an hour. But if you're out there and you have a salary of $40,000, you're not making much more than minimum wage. So somebody who wants to hire you to pay you $40,000 an hour is going to have to, in turn, realize that you're only making two dollars or $3,000 more at the end of the year than somebody who's making minimum wage. If you make minimum wage, you're going to make $31,000 a year at $15 an hour. If you work overtime half the year for 10 hours, so half the year you make 
you work 50 hours a week, you're going to make 38000 Now, somebody whose salary at $40,000, most salary people assume they're going to work 50-hour day, 50-hour weeks, they're now working for $2,000 more for 26 weeks out of the year. That middle class, and, and, and certainly the working middle class, is going to suffer as a result of this sort of financial conundrum that we've been placed in as a society. So here's my emphasis as a nation, as a state, as individuals. Be mindful of the fact that we need to be good stewards, that it does represent our belief systems. Hopefully you have put a little money away, that you are preparing for your family, you're preparing for a future. Hopefully you're acknowledging nobody owes you something. That's where this moral conundrum comes in, that we believe it's due to us, we're entitled to something, rather than a spirit of humility that says, you know what, I don't have to have the newest phone, I don't need to ha demand this of government so that I can have more amenities. What I should really ask is, can you sort of help so that our small businesses can, can stay open, stay afloat? Um, can you reduce some of the regulations that make it difficult for them and trust me, if you're somebody who really wants to empower government, then just ask the question, as we empower government, that we also acknowledge that it is the biggest corporation who has the most power in the nation to make some of these changes. So ask more of that. But don't, in your own right, expect other people to believe what you believe and think that we have to figure out some of these moral differences as if we have to convert each other on philosophy rather than was really putting the hand to the plow that is making our lives move forward. Ultimately, I'm convinced that that is something we have to pray about as much as anything else. So, forgive me for going off the deep end on it, but may your treasures be where your heart is and that you can be open and transparent with God about the things that you feel are a priority in your life and how you share with others. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.